0: Welcome to the Bulwark podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. I was trying to figure out whether I'm in a good mood or a bad mood this morning. I I don't know. I mean, it's springtime. The the blossoms are out in Wisconsin. We had this gorgeous blossoming tree out front in our house and uh, it blossoms for about two or three days a year. I mean, I'm I'm not exaggerating, and and almost always what happens is it just explodes with this wonderful pink color, and then it rains the next day, and and we have these blossoms everywhere. So, but so it's it it is it is spring. Things are going well. On the other hand, you wake up to the usual. You wake up to the usual. I'm I'm sorry, bullshit. Uh, uh, Kevin McCarthy all in on purging Liz Cheney. This is one of those where. Uh it, it it feels like we're living in a cartoon version of a of a caricature. Uh also uh, Facebook, uh the Facebook Oversight Committee came down with its ruling. It is not going to restore Donald Trump to Facebook. That's one thing, but it also essentially throws the ball back to Facebook saying, Hey guys, you, you that you know, you wanted us to take over the responsibility. This is your responsibility. You got to do your job. You have to come up with some sort of a standard. So uh what's interesting about that, of course, is that the Trump folks apparently took this decision very, very seriously. They they really, really want to get back on uh, Facebook. You may have seen that Fox News breathlessly reported that Donald Trump has launched his own uh, social media platform, which they describe as a place where he can, you know, allow followers, you know, to, to share the president's post to Twitter and, and Facebook, but it doesn't have any feature to allow users to reply or to engage with Trump in any way. So it's just a one way communication, which is known as a blog. So the president has a blog that appears to be very heavily focused on raising money. What a surprise. How amazing. So uh, on our podcast today, uh, we welcome back Robert Trasinsky, a contributor to The Bulwark, who just had a great piece about liberalism, illiberalism, and sorab Amari. So, Robert, uh, welcome back to the podcast. Always a pleasure to be here. Did you see the way I described Sorab Amari the other day? Um, not off of people like this. I, I, this is kind of inside baseball, I suppose, because most people don't follow this. But he is the editorial page editor of the of the New York Post, and. Mm-hmm. I said that if there was actually a church of bad faith argumentation, Sorab would be a cardinal. Yeah, um, I, I did see that.
1: And it really is the case that um, I, I feel almost regretful every time I engage with him. I mean, he's got a prominent platform. He's having a lot of influence on the direction of the conservative movement for the worse. And so I feel like you have to respond to him. But it, it's a lot like dealing with an internet troll or somebody on Twitter, you know, where you you almost feel like you're giving him oxygen and you know you're not going to get an honest response on a lot of stuff. Um, You know, the other reason I feel bad about engaging with him is, you know, given his history, I sort of feel like if I if I disagree with what he says, all I have to do is, is wait a couple of years and it'll all change
0: right he's gone from like <laughs> secular muslim to atheist to card carrying communist to blah 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 well, he, to he, and he was a, he was a bit, yeah he yeah. was a
1: pretty straightforward sort of neoconservative somebody who's been passing around in 2017 which is not that long ago him writing a a piece about the alarming spread of illiberalism in commentary magazine <laughs> and you know so he's basically warning us about him <laughs> you know 4 years ago and now he has gone completely to the opposite side it, so he's is he's, he's kind of an ideological chameleon type and which a lot of people have turned out to be unfortunately
0: well, it is entertaining to watch. You know where the the arc of uh, of Sora Bomari is, is headed. It's not towards freedom, obviously, but he went from, as you point out, neoconservative. conservative. Uh, now he is, you know, um, I don't know what we'd say sort of sort of fascist adjacent or curious, uh, rejecting illiberalism. And the latest, uh, the latest iteration is that he admires the Chai Koms. He says uh, I am totally at peace with uh, with with China uh, dominating the next century because I don't know because did I get this right? Because they would protect religious liberty better than our pagan society, and that's where you go. You know, how much time I, do you want to devote to you know understanding what the hell he's talking about?
1: Yeah, I think that you have to view him as like a mirror image of the left and the idea that there's a lot of people on the left. I think somebody called it oikophobia, which is you know, fear of your own – or hate, fear or hatred of, of the society from which you come. And so any, yeah, there's a lot of people on the left too. Anything associated with America or the West is bad. And he is sort of like the mirror image of that from the right, where anything associated with America is bad, and anything that's against America, therefore, must be good. And the the Chinese are rivals, and I guess he imagines them to be more traditionalist. I don't really think that's true, but uh, I think he Im- he has this imagination that oh, they have this deep Confucian foundation, which is you know, it's 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 very typical thing that Americans do of looking at a foreign society of which we don't understand very well from a, this distance and this rosy-colored way and projecting our own uh, sort of wishes <laughs> onto it, and I think that's what he's doing there.
0: Now, I but imagine is, this is – yeah, yeah, go on, sorry, go ahead.
1: As I said, but it is really – it's like anything that's not America, not modern liberalism must be therefore be good, and it's pretty indiscriminate.
0: Yeah. Well, see, this is what must be confusing for people who go, wait, 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 I, I thought the New York Post and Rupert Murdoch's you know, tabloid and people like Sora Amari, that this was the new right wing. And so it, it is confusing because it sort of goes, you know, the, the line goes, you know, we are America first. We are the real patriots. We love our country, which is terrible and pagan. And we need to be really strong against the evil Chinese who are actually probably better than we are because we are pagan and God... I mean, it's like this whoa how did what's what's going on there how are the synapses firing in this guy's head i just don't know but it is interesting it it is sort of a brave new look for the america first patriots to basically go yes our country is so corrupt and so pagan that i prefer i prefer the Chikons. i mean well you know
1: i i look i look at amari i sort of look at him as donald trump writ small uh, yeah. Which, which is, you know, it's all the same contradictions that we see. This sort of lack of intellectual coherence, the emotion, it, it's the, the style of it is very emotional. It's like I have feelings about things, and I'm not so intellectual coherence is not very strong. It's really trolling and appealing to resentment, and and all yeah. of that, and you know, and the idea of this leadership by somebody who is. You know, ideologically either vacant or fickle um, and also, you know, does not – postures a lot about uh, the importance of religion and morality while being not exactly a good exemplar of, of moral virtue.
0: Yeah, exactly, because it's all about, you know, having the right posture, having the right enemies, um throwing out the right insults. So speaking of intellectual incoherence, so uh, that seems like a perfect segue to talk about Kevin McCarthy and uh, <laughs> the Republicans in the House of Representatives who are all in it. I mean, as we wake up this morning, um, we're getting the reports that that the leadership of the uh, House Republican Party is all in and getting rid of Liz Cheney for the sin of uh, of speaking the truth about the uh, the 2020 election. Uh, they're making phone calls. Uh, they're gonna, There will be a vote next week. It seems almost certain that Liz Cheney will be thrown out. Uh, she will be replaced by Elise Stefanik, who has been one of those figures, fascinating figures, who has morphed from being a reasonable moderate into a complete Trumpian troll. So let's let's start with this, though. So um, Kevin McCarthy I, I, I had supported her earlier in the year. I mean, he, you know, as part of his changing, morphing, chameleon-like tofu quality, he went from being willing to call out Donald Trump to going down to mar a um on bended knee and, and, and kissing the orange one's um uh, uh, posterior, and uh, now he's. I, I was going to go with Ring, Charlie, kissing the yeah, ring. Yeah, I, I, I was going to go with <laughs> Ring, and I thought, you know, it's a podcast, and and I'm, at, I'm I'm actually not thinking Ring, so I might as well, you know, that's what we do. We we say what we think. So he's he's now anti, he's sort of edged to anti uh, Liz Cheney. Well, he, he was caught on mic I don't know how the quality of this audio is very good, but he's preparing to go on one of the Fox News shows where he throws her under the bus. But makes it very, very clear that he's just done with her. So let's just play this. This is a hot mic. Mike McCarthy did not mean this to go out over the air, but uh, this is what he's this is what he's saying before uh, the cameras went on at Fox News. I think she's got real problems. I, 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 I've had it with. I've had it with. It's you know I, I've lost confidence. Well, someone just has to bring motion, but I assume that will probably take place. Yeah. um, I've lost confidence. Uh, She's got real problems. Uh, You know, somebody has to make the motion, but I assume that that's going to happen. So, Robert, let's just talk about this, because what's really extraordinary is that the Republicans are quite explicitly now making the the big lie a litmus test or at least Mm -hmm. not calling the lie out a litmus test for survival And as of the end of next week, the literally the only person who the Republicans will sanction for their role in the insurrection or around the insurrection will be Liz Cheney, because she continued to refuse to whitewash it and tell the truth. And she's going to be punished for that. That's a hell of a look for the Republicans in Congress, isn't it?
1: Well, and this follows uh, that meeting in in Utah where they're booing Mitt Romney. Uh, The Republicans are in kind of a doom spiral. Now, you know, I kind of feel sheepish about criticizing politicians for not having moral courage because that's (laughs) not the job description, right? The job description is there go the people. I must follow them for I am their leader. Uh, So uh, politicians are going to respond to what they see as the mood of the electorate. Uh, But what the doom spiral here that the Republicans are in is they're not really responding to the mood of the electorate. The mood of the electorate is not, you know, as a as the general public and independent voters, that's not where the mood of the electorate is. They're in this doom spiral where they're actually reacting to the mood of a very narrow base uh, and, a, and a narrower and narrower base of the Republican Party as filtered through one guy who is the sort of celebrity leader. And this is, you know, the, the whole – celebrity reality tv politics that we have now uh it that's how what's that's how it kind of wrecks a party is that everything gets filtered through one guy and his mood this morning and what he said today on his app that is totally not twitter even though it exists only to allow you to repost things on twitter
0: so this is what I don't understand at, at at this point. Is this just inside baseball? Because normally, you know, internal caucus fights over the House Conference Chairman doesn't really register with anybody outside of Washington. In fact, I, I think it's, I'm you know, it would be a safe bet to think that ninety-five percent of Americans never have heard of the House Conference chairman or whatever that is. Mm-hmm. Uh so does this actually make a difference? Uh, you know, is is it a doom spiral or is this just internal housekeeping that won't have any effect on the twenty twenty uh, midterms?
1: Well, I, yeah, how much effect it has on the average voter is one question, um, but I think it has an effect on the party. It's sort of yes, it's an internal, it's sort of an inside baseball internal party thing. But what it means is, it's a message to. Anybody who is a Republican who's thinking – who's running, who's thinking of running, anybody who's in Congress, this is what happens to you if you cross this line. So I think the significance is it's one of these internal things, but it's helping to – I think you put it really well – create the big lie as a litmus test, the big lie being the stolen election uh, conspiracy theory. It creates that as a litmus test, and it creates loyalty to Trump as a litmus – once again as a litmus test. And so that's the effect that it has and I think if it impacts the 2020 midterms it might be in the other direction which is you know making it harder for them to find and recruit and promote candidates that you know independent voters would actually want to vote for.
0: What was interesting is that McCarthy, the way McCarthy is spinning this, he's saying that it's what's well, not because of her vote on, uh, on, on impeachment. We're, we're kind of, you know, we've, we passed that. It's that she won't stop talking about it. And, and this seems to be the new, the new argument that, that, that this is happening because she will not shut up. It's kind of the version of the, look what you're making us do. It's right, kind of right. like the, all the, all the guys, the abusers, like this is, you know, uh, you, you know, If you weren't so mouthy, this wouldn't be happening. Look what you're making us do to you. And this is kind of the rationale for the the anti-anti-Trumpers who have become, I don't know whether you can come up with something better than this, but are they anti-pro-Cheney now? But you have Dan McLaughlin, you know, the baseball crank at National Review. If she can't move off this topic, as Mitch McConnell has, she needs to do that from the back benches, which is... Okay, this may be a threat to democracy. The president is lying. He continues to lie It's the litmus desk, but but you you need you need to not talk about this so much, which is ironic, because Donald Trump's still sitting down there in Mar-a-Lago, and it's the only thing he talks about. He talks about it freaking all the, fr- the time, and so it's so, a, uh, it's uh, it, uh, speaking I'm of intrigued. cognitive
1: dissonance. I'm very familiar with this because I've been through this a number of times as being the guy who insists on saying, well, no, actually, you know, this, this thing <laughs> really happened and this is the really the truth. And, you know, when you get a – when you get a, a movement or organization um, – I'm not going to go into the details of my history of this, but we get a movement or organization that really wants to coalesce around a new party line. And there's the one guy out there saying, you know, uh, just you know, politely saying every yeah, time, wait, well, no. look, actually, you know, here's the problem with that. That guy becomes the problem and he doesn't become the problem because he's obsessed with it and he won't stop mentioning it. He becomes the problem because he's perv- he's he's gumming up the process of coalescing around the new party line. And, you know, exactly. And but this is politics. This is, you know, politics is about we have a party and you have to go along with the party. And we always want to sort of try to force people to to coalesce around whatever the new message is right now. Uh like yeah. I said, you know, I almost feel bad about criticizing politicians for not having courage because It's it's like the job description, and the other thing is you know criticizing politicians for groupthink and for uh for you know clustering together into protective little enclaves where where everybody's supposed to 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 think alike that that happens a lot in politics. So, but like I said, the problem is that it becomes when it becomes that sort of cloister groupthink you are not looking out at what does the independent voter want to hear what does he yeah. what does he need you know and and what does the country need you're not focused on anything but you and you get in this little doom spiral where you're focused on everything going on in your little clique and your organization and your party and how are we all you know cohering together around the right message which changes every <laughs> every every couple of weeks yeah and, and so- you, you
0: yeah, know yeah, you you're you're right about that. And you know, this is one of the other questions, you know, what is actually going on with Kevin McCarthy? Okay, I mean, the guy, the guy is venal, um, you know, he's spineless, uh, he, he's not he's not very bright. I get all that. You do kind of wonder whether there there's some other pressure on him right now that he feels the need to do this because one of his arguments is that is that she's a distraction, that you know, we want to be talking about policy and instead we're talking about this. Wait, by doing this, You have made this distraction times 100. This is the only thing anybody is talking about right now. People are not talking about the trillions of dollars of spending that Joe Biden is. I mean, think about the alternative reality. You have Joe Biden proposing all of these spending programs and everything. This should be in the wheelhouse of Republicans to be talking about the spending, the debt, the debt, or pretend to care about that stuff now. Um, And instead, what are they all talking about? You know, how we need to, know, throw Liz Cheney under the bus. See, I think her real crime is not that she's a distraction. Her real crime is that she's embarrassed these guys. And she's going to continue to embarrass these guys. And this is what I wrote today. I said, you know, her courage highlights their cowardice. Her insistence on telling the truth underscores how corrupted they've become. And as long as she keeps doing that, as you point out, they can't move on. And so, Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. let's throw her out. But by throwing her out, they make her bigger than ever. Right. Isn't it like that Star Wars thing? You strike me down and I come back more powerful (laughs) than ever. Right. I mean, she doesn't go away when they vote her out.
1: Right. Exactly. They're raising the profile of this issue. They're raising her profile. They're 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 doing her a favor. But like I said, it's a doom spiral where you're focused on how do you maintain the group think and you're not focused on and you can't you can't look outside into the into the real world. Uh, Because you're so focused on the internal uh, dynamics within the movement and within the party,
0: yeah. No, you're right. So uh, going back to the point about that, her big sin is that she won't shut up about this. You know, and another one of the anti-anti-Trumpers out there is is our old friend uh, Byron York, who's saying that Mm -hmm. you know she's Cheney is not looking to persuade but to bludgeon because she keeps talking about this. Rhetorical devices like putting the big lie in all caps gave the tweet a feeling. The feeling of uh, this is something you might hear on CNN or MSNBC, Byron York, explains, oh, really? So um, interesting, you know, it's like as if Trump didn't <laughs> doesn't exist and doesn't put things in all caps. But <laughs> I, 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 again, think about the other folks that continue to talk about this, which brings me to Josh Hawley, who still thinks that he can run for president based on, not in spite of, but maybe based on the role that he played in the January 6th insurrection. So I have two clips here. He was uh, doing a Washington Post live thing yesterday, and he's asked about, you know, the the, the whole fist bump on January 6th. And you can tell Josh Hawley has no problem talking about it. He's not moved on from this. He's doubling down. Here's Here's Josh Hawley. But uh, when I
1: walked by, that particular group of of folks were standing there peacefully behind police barricades well off of the plaza. And I waved to them, gave them the thumbs up, pumped my fist to them, and uh, thanked them for being there. And they had every right to do that.
0: Yes. After what happened, do you regret that at all?
1: No, because I don't know which of those protesters, if any of them, those demonstrators, participated in the criminal riot. And I think it's a slur on the thousands and thousands, tens of thousands. People who came to the Capitol that day to demonstrate peacefully, to to lump them in with the criminal rioters and say, oh, you're all basically the same. It's all just the same thing.
0: So he's not moving off the topic, is he? (laughs) Well, at least he's saying criminal rioters, which is, you know,
1: better than a lot of other people are doing, where they deny that anything really happened at the Capitol
0: to begin with. But he's basically kind of retconning it, though. It's like, oh, a, oh yeah, the, the, well, and the, he's the, also the stop the steel. It's not the stop the steal. It's just there are these this this discreet group of bad people, and none of the rest of us who engaged in the big lie, who continue to undermine the legitimacy of this election, have any responsibility at all because we're just good, happy patriots, and just well, he, this he's ignoring what here.
1: He's ignoring why the people were there in DC that day, which was to protest against a a free and fair election, uh, and to, to, to back a conspiracy theory about, to back the
0: big lie conspiracy theory. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, uh. Here's here's my favorite clip. You you can't really hear it all, but I just want to I just want to play this because here's here's Josh Hawley, graduate of Yale Law School, um, going back to his mantra. And again, he's being questioned on this Zoom call thing from The Washington Post Live where he'd gone. I, I don't know how long it was. I'm assuming, you know, maybe an hour or hour and a half or whatever, um, where he's talking about it. And uh, he, he go but he goes back to his uh, his favorite uh, his favorite meme. Let's play that.
1: Don't try to censor, cancel, and silence me here. You raise the
0: issue. So if you raise the issue, you've got to listen to the truth. And the truth is. She goes, Senator, we're hosting you here. He's like, you can censor and silence me. Uh, Senator, um, we're hosting you here. Yeah, the uh, it reminds
1: <laughs> me that somebody did a parody about this. About uh, I think it was uh, Lisa Kudrow or something like that did oh, a parody of fantastic. buy my, yeah. my book. I am being silenced. You know, yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. and you know, go to my show. I am being silenced, and you know, he's on the media all the time and complaining about how silenced he is. Um, so yeah, it's 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 that shtick. But look, um, <clears throat> there's a reason he does this, which is that, and I think this is something worth looking at that. The one popular issue Republicans still have. So I think their big problem is they're looking internally in their own caucus and how you have to have loyalty to Donald Trump and loyalty to these various litmus tests. And they're not looking out to the world. But if you looked out to the broader world, the one thing you would find as like the one real popular issue Republicans have left is cancel culture. You know, people hate political correctness and independents hate it. A bunch of Democrats don't like it very much. Um, you know, that's the thing that the, uh, when the left gets into its little doom spiral where it's all about mm-hmm. kowtowing to a little tiny minority of the base and and all the litmus tests they throw up. That's when they're, you know, that's when they're kowtowing to cancel culture. It's incredibly unpopular outside of there. So, you know, politicians are – have this antenna. They look up. they have their, they have their antenna up. And then it's, oh, people hate this. So let me try to jump on that bandwagon. And the way you jump on the bandwagon is is by describing literally anything that you want to promote as being an example of that thing that people, yeah, you know, that that people that that issue that's popular. So well, everything's gonna be culture now
0: yeah, yeah, well, it's also a way of being the, playing the victim card, which mm-hmm. is which, which you know, gives you moral standing and then allows you to deflect any criticism of your behavior. So if you say something that's outrageous or irresponsible or untrue, um any criticism can be uh, you know, can be described as cancel culture. No, it's, you know holding you accountable for the things you say and the things you do is accountability. But you know, there's a long tradition of people saying I am a victim. The other thing that he he does that's very i i I actually think it has been effective and you've seen it on the right is to say that they're not attacking me, they're coming for you, and this is why you need me to defend you, and that has just been internalized on the right to an extent that I find really remarkable that they basically will say that you know the worse they behave. Um, the stronger their defense is, and then they try to deflect it to say these people hate you have you know have you noticed how often that that narrative is is out there on social media now that that mm-hmm. the left does, just doesn't just disagree with you they hate you they want to destroy you which if you wonder why people are so angry and fearful and divided that kind of rhetoric feeds into that
1: well, you know, and the thing is, I think there is something to it. Like I said, cancel culture is very unpopular. There is a wing of the left that has this very censorious attitude of, you know, your very existence offends me, and and uh, I'm going to create this endless series of litmus tests of how of what words you use and what phrases you use, and jump on you if you say something on social media. You put one word wrong, we're going to jump on you, and it, it is kind of random. Even uh, who do they attack and who they don't attack. So there, you know, that's a th- real thing that's out there. So it's, you know, it's sort of, you know, this is I mean, this is a common thing in politics too. It's like you take you find the worst people on the other side <laughs> and you right. who, who are legitimately bad. They're really terrible people. And you take them and you say, okay, everything I'm doing is I'm I am the answer to, I am the only answer to that. And, you know, that's it's 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 what they would naturally do. But I think it also feeds into we're talking about, talking about this sort of doom spiral where they're focused internally on this sort of you know shrinking core of, of hardcore people who are pro-Trump and not reaching out to the broader electorate. Well, I think uh, the flip side of that sort of shrinking yourself down into your core is that then you become increasingly feeling beleaguered. I mean, you think of it like yeah. a cult, right? Like David Koresh and the Branch Davidians is that the more you become – this this cult where everybody's gathered around the leader and has to believe these specific things and the more restrictive it becomes the more it also feeds into the idea that we this small tiny beleaguered group are hated by everybody else by the rest of the world that we we're in an antagonistic relationship with the rest of the world and um that you know those two things sort of go together and it like it's part of the doom spiral right where yeah, no, the <laughs> The the more you gather together into this little group, the more you feel antagonistic to the rest of the world, the more you get – the tighter you go and become even more antagonistic to the rest of the world. And it's a a vicious cycle that's hard to get out of.
0: I think this may relate to this a little bit um, and although it may sound like a a digression. uh, So I wrote a piece – for politico magazine um which i'm not going to spend a lot of time on on the on the podcast today an an open letter to paul ryan saying um this would be a good time for you to use your position on the fox board to stand up for the things that you say Mm -hmm. you're standing up for this is not a first amendment issue i want to make it clear it's not cancel culture this is a private company exercising editorial discretion and uh you know so much of the the so much of what's happening in American politics that you specifically have spoken out against the tribalization, the dishonesty, the poisoning of our democracy, et cetera, is coming from a company that you preside over. I, I, I you know, look, I, I, I think it's probably naive to think that Ryan is going to speak out. I'm really not under any illusions. On the other hand, you know, if, if, if you're ever going to step up and change your legacy, this would seem to be the moment right now, if not now, when, um, but mm-hmm. I getting getting some of the uh, response that I'm also getting to my defense of Liz Cheney. I you know I wrote a piece saying you know Liz Cheney is really a profile in courage. I I don't agree with her and everything, but I admire her her guts. And there's a strain of thought out there, and and you I saw that you tweeted about it earlier today, which is uh, from from the left, which is. Uh No, uh, you know, um, I don't feel sorry for for Liz Cheney um because she built this and therefore there's, you know, they're deaf to any appeal to conservatives to stand up. See, my position is at a moment like this, if somebody is willing to stand up for truth, they need to be supported and applauded. But there is a there's a class of thought out there that all people on the right are so evil, are so corrupt, have failed so much that we just don't need them. And and, and I think that you want to speak of a, a doom spiral to basically mm-hmm. condemn everyone and so that to the extent that there are these anti you know anti Trumpist voices or potential anti Trumpist voices out there, it's like yeah we don't want to hear from you because you guys have always been racist, you've always been bigoted, you've always been corrupt. So we don't need Romney, we don't need we don't need Ryan, we don't need any of you guys, we don't need McCain, we don't need Bush, and we don't need Cheney. You've seen that, right? Oh
1: yeah, and and what you have to they did do it to Bush, they do it, they do it to Bill Crystal. Uh, you know, Bill Crystal, you, you built this. I'm like, really, did he build Trumpism? I don't, I don't think so. But um, the, you have to understand that, that half the purpose or a large part of the purpose of Twitter is for people to feel superior to somebody else. Right. Yeah. So, and, and I've seen this with a bunch of other issues that, that if you, you know, when, if you come belatedly, if you come to accept the truth after the other person did, that makes you like even worse in their minds because you know if you if somebody else believes something is true and then you come to believe it's true also that raises you to a position of equality with them right and the purpose of Twitter is not for us to be on a position of equality the purpose of Twitter is for me to be morally superior and intellectually superior to you the other person whose job is to to be the target of my barbs and show how superior I am so there's that sort of whole social media posturing sort of aspect to it that's going on. Uh, you know, we can't possibly admit that that somebody on the other side who we've designated as a bad guy has done something good because that might puncture our illusion of complete moral superiority. But the other aspect of it um, is that how in, – in terms of how you got Trump, how, how do you get Trump? A big part of the story is crying wolf. Right? So if Mitt Romney is a sexist and a racist and a big rich guy who doesn't care about the average person and you know, has contempt for the poor, if that's your view of Mitt Romney, right? eventually if you keep saying that sort of thing over and over again with Mitt Romney, with George W. Bush, with everybody else, people tune you out and stop listening to you. And then a guy comes along who actually is a sexist, who actually is a yeah, – is racist, who actually uh, is a, a – a, pompous rich guy who has contempt for the poor, all the things you've been saying all along, he comes along and people won't listen to you because you've cried wolf too many times. So this is sort of their fallback from the crying wolf thing of saying, well, no, maybe Mitt Romney wasn't a wolf, but he made the wolf possible, right? So this is their their way of wriggling out of the fact that, that they had their own role in making this possible in crying wolf against people who were... You know, disagreed with them about politics, but were had some level of basic decency.
0: So, Robert, I'm going to get huge blowback about what you just said there. And people say, "Oh, you know, that's that that's not true." And so, I I, w- I just want to pause here and underline for the listeners of this podcast that I could not agree with you more on this on this because I live through this, and uh, and I've tried to make this point. Um, that if for years and years and years every Republican, every conservative is a racist, a sexist, a xenophobe, a fascist. If supporting school choice makes you a fascist, if supporting lower taxes makes you a fascist and a racist, if again all of the Bushes were uh, you know were, were racist, if you said that about McCain, if you said that about Romney. At a certain point, people shrug their shoulders and they roll their eyes and, and they say, "Yeah, you know what? You know uh, what, what? Whatever," because it's lost its it, it's lost any power. And then, when the real thing comes along and you go, "Wait, this guy is a racist, he's a sexist, and he's a fascist," the real thing, people go, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, we've heard that." And so that that was one of the big problems for those of us on the right who who saw that Donald Trump was in fact a real danger, is that. All of the language had been used, and conservatives had been prepped to go. I'm not going to take any of that seriously. There's another uglier part of that as well, which is that if people are called racist, you know, for a variety of things, uh, you know, all all the time, at a certain point, not only do they become numb, but they go, okay, you know, and I don't care, and maybe I should become a racist. Do you know what I'm saying there? I mean, you know, one right. of the things that's amazing to me has been the willingness of people on the right, and I'm not just talking about the Tucker Carlson's of the world, who are now embracing the rawest racial narratives. And it's like, wow, don't you understand how ugly this is? But it's the same sort of thing. There's been the numbs. okay, well, you, you 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 said that when I supported this, so now that I'm playing around with replacement theory um, yeah. or engaging in, in that sort of thing or, or saying that that immigrants should go back to their own country and everything, you know, I'm being accused of something that, frankly, I've been accused of for the last 20 years, so maybe it's no big deal. Why not?
1: Yeah, and I I view that as a – I think you'd view it as well as a failure of character because obviously you shouldn't allow your views to be dictated by what other people say, right? By just being against – you know, doing it reactively and saying, because you said this mean thing to me, therefore, I'm going to go ahead and embrace this. You should set your own standards and stick to those and you know rejecting racist theories is a pretty clear and straightforward standard and by the way the, the great replacement thing is is really a particularly nasty theory um what it, it, you you you'll hear it so if for people who don't know this the white replacement theory is the idea that uh the elites are deliberately bringing in black and brown people from across the world as immigrants in order to replace the white people as the citizens of the United States now what they're actually and they're they big sort of um uh, the thing that they're upset about is that I think the Immigration Act of 1965 well what that actually did is that prior to 1965 under you know during the era of Jim Crow the re- immigration laws were overtly racist in terms of you know encourage uh, make putting restrictions on immigration by non-white people so what they're basically saying and part of the dismantling of Jim Crow and segregation was the idea that okay we're going to you know even out the quotas and uh, make, you know, raise some of the caps that were meant to prevent uh, non-white people from immigrating. So what they're really complaining about is they're complaining about the dismantling of Jim Crow, uh, or at least, you know, one small part of it. Uh, So it is a really uh, uh, reprehensible theory. But, you know, it goes to the fact that we have these politics that's, that's defined so tribally on both sides. Right, so the people who, you know on the left, there are people who refuse to admit that any Republican could ever do something good, um, unless he's dead. You know that the, if you, <laughs> there's an old old you know you know the old uh, trick of the only good Republican is a dead Republican that 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 once you know Ronald Reagan dies and they can say good things about him after having defamed him for four decades. Um, so, but you know, everybody, everybody on, on the right must be bad, and the left, and the right has this idea of, you know, I'm going to define myself by owning the libs, and anything therefore I'm against.
0: Yeah, that's pretty much what we've become. So let's talk about the Facebook thing. I, I know, I know, there's <coughs> a little bit of confu- confusion on all this. I don't know whether we'll agree on this or, or not. I'm actually not sure I'm going to agree with myself on all of this. <laughs> but uh, it, it is important to understand that there was no final decision here. It was actually kind of a punt that they made. Um, by saying that uh you know facebook's going have to they're going have to go back uh you know and, and come up with some sort of of a of a standard, but they did say the i mean the ban's not permanent and it, it but but they did make the point um that it you know they're not going to reinstate uh, trump because uh he was putting out misinformation that may incite violence so first of all i mean what's 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 your gut sense about whether or not Well, I mean, where do you come down on a a private company like Facebook uh, banning the president of the United States?
1: Oh, I'm totally in favor of the idea that a private company can ban somebody who is the most powerful and prominent uh, political figure in the country. I love that idea. Okay, so I want to just come up, you know, regardless of the merits of why they're doing it, I just love the idea that the CEO of Twitter or the CEO of Facebook can go to the president of the United States and say no you're not on our platform we hate you go away <laughs> i love the fact that they can get tell him basically to get lost and that's america man that that is that's <laughs> what the first amendment is all about you know we are, we are people who uh you know the anybody on the street you know the, the guy driving a cab uh can can uh can can tell can give the president of the united states a piece of his mind uh that's that's what this country is about so i i am totally in favor of the idea that a private company, and they say, "Oh, well, it's a powerful private company." Yeah, but you know, you don't have to spend. Facebook is this tiny part of the world. Uh, you know, it's a it's a giant company, but in the scheme of things, it is not the only thing going on. There's lots of other places, like you said. Trump now has his own little blog that he can use to mm. communicate to his people. Um, so the idea that private companies can tell the, the president get lost is great. I also think they have an excellent point that uh, – I, I personally am grateful the fact that I don't have to uh, <clears throat> you know, wake up every morning and find out you know, what mayhem did, the, did this – the president or ex-president create you know, this morning because he was up at 3 a.m. and got angry at somebody and typed in all caps – uh, I'm I'm yeah. hugely personally grateful. I you know, as, as somebody who covers politics, I'm personally grateful that this is not part of my day anymore. Um, so, and I, I think that you know the and and then finally, of course, you know the January 6th did radicalize me on this, which is that he did something so unforgivable and so dangerous to the foundations of our whole political system that it is kind of like an it's an unforgivable sin, right? and so he should be in exile for the rest of his life. I that's my view because he did something that is such a f- foundational basic attack on 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 our political system and on, on representative government. The idea of not just saying the big lie that uh the election was stolen and the vote was rigged when it wasn't, when he didn't have the evidence for it, but also then saying and we're going to send a you know encourage a mob to come to DC and intimidate Congress when it's in the process of Certifying that vote, uh, that is a, a fundamental attack on our whole system. So I think he deserves a lifetime ban. It's it, it's one of those. Yeah, huh. you know, I, I like. I think of the Greek. Yeah, I'm a classicist, former classicist. So I think of the Greek ostracism. Right. The original meaning of ostracism is we all hold a vote and say this guy is so dangerous to our political system. He's so he's such a power-seeking demagogue. We're going to literally, you know, banish him from the from from Athens for ten years. And you know, and he can't come back. I think we have to do something similar here.
0: You know, that's interesting. You say that that you were radicalized by January sixth um, because you were pretty radical to begin with, right? <laughs> I mean, but, but, no. I and I, I wonder as, as as I'm thinking it through, and as you're describing what what happened, um, why more people were not radicalized by it, and I think that's part of the the uh, the stress of of watching this that you have half the country looked looked at it and and saw what how you described it and do recognize why the appropriate response to that is absolute ostracism, holding everybody accountable, and then watching the Republican Party deciding that, no, the one person that has refused to whitewash this is, uh, is, is going to be thrown out. And by the way, since we started talking, I guess Steve Scalise came out and um, you know, said that she needs to be thrown out of office and replaced with Elise Stefanik. So, but back to, back to Facebook. Um, our, our colleague Amanda Carpenter uh, tweeted out a little while ago an interesting proposal. Uh, She said, look, here's my proposal for Facebook. Tell Trump that if he officially concedes the 2020 election, states that Joe Biden won fair and square, and there was no widespread election fraud, then okay, maybe we will think about letting you back. Until then, there is nothing to discuss. I think that's, I I co-sign that. I think that's good.
1: So this is what I mean by me being radicalized, which is that prior to January 6th, I would have said, yeah, that sounds like a really reasonable mm-hmm. proposal. After January 6th, I'm like, no, because, you know, the thing is, was it that you knew damn well I was a snake, right? Um, that's, his <laughs> own, that's his own – that's his own words ahead. against him. Yeah, he, This is who he is. This is so deeply revealed as his character that you know, even if he mouths the words now, okay, I will go give this statement that you want me to give – He's gonna go back and do the same thing okay, again. you know
0: what? Like, you know what? You're right. You're, you're, you're right. I like her proposal, but but you've gone to the heart of this is it doesn't matter what Donald Trump says tomorrow or the next day. What matters is who he is. And there's no longer any question about that. I mean, you know, he's he's told us who he is. He has been the snake from the beginning. And so no words, no promises are going to change that. The guy just needs to be gone and stay gone. No, I'm. I, I guess maybe I've been radicalized yeah, and, then, and, and, and well, I think we've
1: also we've all had somebody in our lives like this, right? Where you give them the benefit of the doubt, and then you know they apologize, and you know, it, and, and if, God forbid, some people listening may have been in an abusive relationship, which this is very much like. Um, where, you know, the, the tearful apology and I won't do it again. And of course, this is the person, this is the person who's going to do it again. And at some point you just have to say, no, you are a toxic presence in my life. Okay. okay,
0: So I see, I, I really like this analogy that in order to understand what's going on with the Republican party, using this analogy of being in the abusive relationship will, you know, works over and over again. Right. It's that, Mm -hmm. you know. Whatever happens, um whatever apologies whatever promises it won't happen again, it will happen again. They've told us who they are, and again i I, I do think that the the whole approach to Liz Cheney, which is like you're making us do this you you know if, if you if you hadn't been mouthing off like that, I wouldn't have to smack you out of leadership. It really does and, and that knowledge you know works.
1: And even I would throw in even people like like Lindsey Graham or Kevin McCarthy briefly having this moment of okay I'm going to leave him, and then coming back <laughs> right it's it's I can't quit that, you. That. <laughs> well, there is that sort of like you know, after a particularly abusive episode, the 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 person who's in this sort of weird codependent relationship, um, this dysfunctional relationship, you know, they they say oh I'm going to leave now, and then they're back with the guy you know uh, a month later uh and it it's one of the sort of sick things that happens in these in in these dysfunctional relationships so yeah it is very much uh battered woman syndrome uh applied to a party
0: yeah i i've i've used the stockholm syndrome analogy but i think that that's true as 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 well and and it's also the 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 syndrome that you know when daddy comes home that one night when daddy comes home and he's not drunk and he doesn't slap mom around Mm-hmm. It's always oh, fantastic. This is great. This is just things are going to be fine now. That one night. So, did you see the picture? Speaking of which, that the, the picture that uh, the Ted Cruz posted of himself down having dinner with Mar-a-Lago. It's yeah. In case your cringes have not yet cringed this morning, and and a couple of things is the fact that okay, it's an it's an embarrassing picture. We remember the embarrassing picture of Mitt Romney and 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 Trump. But what's interesting about the Cruz picture is not only is it humiliating in, in his willingness to debase himself, but he was the one that posted it. It's like, I'm going to degrade myself and then I'm going to put my degradation on social media because it, my degradation and my debasement is not complete until I brag about it. I mean, this is Ted freaking Cruz and – um yeah, it's it's the the abusive well, you know, relationship in, in that, analogy.
1: In that famous picture of Romney having dinner with um with Trump, he at least looked embarrassed. Yeah, he had this look in his face, like, "Oh God, you're not taking a picture of this, are you?" Yes. Why?
0: <laughs> why am I here? We've we, and we've all had that bad moment where we've gone out on the bad date or we've gotten together with the wrong person or you're or sitting you, down you at you dinner agreed, with you <laughs> agreed
1: to a meet yeah. you to a meeting with somebody you really didn't want to have a meeting with and now you're realizing that oh they're going to use this against me god you know what why did i do this yeah that was how Robney looked at that photo
0: <laughs> no actually okay this is this this reminds me of a, of a dinner i had with with a guy and, um I sat down, and I said, "Okay, you know what? before we just start, um I, I think this is a good chance to say, you know let let's let bygones be bygones let's 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 start fresh here And the fact that you know and and then the letter that you wrote, blah 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 blah, um about me or whatever, complaining, you know I'm just you know let, let's just forget it, okay And so right, it was going to be okay, and then we hadn't even started you know eating it, And he says, "What letter? I never wrote any letter." And I said, okay. I'm willing to let this go, but you wrote this letter and I've seen the letter. No, 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 no. I never wrote it. It never happened. And then I realized I'm going to have to sit here (laughs) and have dinner with this guy and he's looking right at me and he's just lying straight at me. And it's like, how long is this going to be? And it felt forever. In fact, I feel, I still feel like I'm at that dinner, (laughs) you know? We all and I'm not going. Thank God I didn't have to post that to social media. Robert Trusinski, thank you so much for joining me today and going over all of this stuff on a on an interesting moment in the in the abusive relationship known as the uh, GOP.
1: Oh, it, I would say it's my pleasure, but it's not a very pleasant subject to discuss. But it's always fun uh, chatting with you, Charlie.
0: And thank you all for listening to today's Bulwark podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. We'll be back tomorrow, and we'll do this all over again.